From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Luke Boyce. He directed the upcoming film Revealer that just played at Panic Fest. Hi, Luke. Hello. We're so excited you're here. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited. Uh, man, I cannot wait to talk to you both about your movie and the movie you brought tonight. But before we do get to all that zaniness, let's go back to the very beginning. How did you get introduced to horror? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I grew up, as we'll, as we'll find out, I grew up in a pretty evangelical <laughs> household in the 80s. Um, but my dad also was just my dad was a was a artist and a graphic okay. designer. So he he couldn't help himself. He was like really into the visual arts, whatever that may be. And I remember when I was really little, so I was born in 82, but I remember watching, you know, Michael Jackson's thriller mm. at a young age and kind of because of our evangelical household, I like, there were certain things that were sort of off limits, but, but I mean, I was kind of obsessed with monsters. I have drawings of just like, like I made up my own, like 
Universal Monsters school thing. Like, I would draw these comic books and stuff of, like, you know, so I, I like, I was aware of monsters and I would watch a lot of, um, would watch a lot of, like, old monster movies on TV. That was mostly where I got most of my horror uh, education growing up. And then finally in high school, I kind of started, you know, once I was a little bit more free, you know, at a friend's house, I remember watching, um, Joe Bob monster vision had a, um, had a Friday the 13th marathon and I stayed up all night watching <laughs> that with a friend, that kind of stuff that kind of led me down that path, um, to just really enjoying everything horror. Yeah. Do you remember the first horror movie you ever saw? Oh gosh. Um, the first horror movie I ever saw. I don't, I mean, it probably, okay, so I don't, I don't remember watching, I didn't see the movie, but I remember, um, I remember waiting for my mom. I have a very specific memory of waiting for my mom to get her, her hair done at, at the salon and they had a TV and seeing the commercial for Child's Play. Oh. And that, that traumatized me <laughs> to the point where we had a My Buddy doll. Do you remember My Buddy? My Buddy and me. Yep. I yes, sure do. Okay. And Kid Sister. Kid Sister. Yeah. Um, yeah. Child's Play Child's Play hurt my brain pretty bad. <laughs> and we had this, this My Buddy doll sat in our room. <laughs> and I just couldn't deal with it. Like for, for the longest time, I, I just was so afraid that it would come to life. And it got to the point where when I was really little, I just got so fed up with it being there that i just like i i just i rage i like drew all over its face <laughs> and threw it in the attic just to get it out of there and then i wouldn't go in the attic for years because he was up there and i was like oh my god he my buddy is mad at me and he's going to try if i even step foot in the attic at all uh he's going to you know come after me so i that just yeah child's play and i didn't watch the movie um for the first time until like maybe three years ago oh my oh, god wow. yeah but i binged the whole thing and i was like oh my god this is one of the best horror franchises of all time like consistent so i think it's consistently across the movies one of the you know best so you know and constantly reinventing itself which yeah I love. just so creative and so interesting um so yeah that that i very much remember the the child's play trauma there for sure so i got i gotta ask since you since you've like binged all of the the child's play movies do you have a favorite um i mean i probably i think i still like one um but i tend to i tend to gravitate towards original concepts just sort of like where things come from i think all of them are in some way really really good three is maybe my least favorite maybe yeah um but i love one and i love just simple concepts i love you know, just like whether it's that or whether it's Alien, anything that sort of spawns this franchise, but you can kind of go back to the beginning and just experience that simple idea and how well executed it is. So, yeah. Cool. Okay, cool. And so, okay, so you grew up pretty evangelical, you said. So, mm-hmm. did you ever like, were you, did you ever read horror as a way to kind of sneak it into the house or anything like that? Was that something that you did a lot of as a kid? Not, well, we weren't allowed to. I remember. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, it actually, so the interesting thing, um, so I remember my brothers would try to have goosebumps and stuff like that. My mom mm-hmm. took them away, put them, like, we weren't allowed to have them, um, that kind of thing. And and I'm going <laughs> to, I don't want to misrepresent, misrepresent my, my parents here. Um, they, 
I, I will say like thing they they are not as <laughs> my mom is very progressive now and you know things change and mm-hmm. you know it was an interesting time we grew up in a very very small town um 800 people population oh, wow. in my okay. town so very very small midwestern yep um so yeah uh, but i do remember you know so my parents were basically you know they kind of were new into the evangelical moment uh, the okay. movie we're going to talk about was kind of important part of not necessarily their sort of their the culture that they sort of adopted into but it was new they were new christians for the most part and they kind of bought into a lot of stuff and i remember there was this book called turmoil in the toy box have you ever heard of this the name is familiar no, oh man fucking horrifying. you guys yeah you gotta you gotta check out if you can get a copy of it oh i highly recommend it so it was it's like this it was kind of promoted by Focus on the Family in the Day, and the whole book is all about how all of these action figures and Saturday morning cartoons um, are basically gateways to Satanism. And my mom and dad <laughs> had this book, and I remember looking through it, and and the way that they would like, like they would have a picture of Yoda, and it was so scary. <laughs> and I remember like, and they would do anything, like like I I actually my parents because of this book. When I was really little, um, they they took my my He Man toys. I wasn't allowed to have He Man as a kid, so oh. I don't even have that like nostalgic thing because they felt like it was gonna lead me to uh, to Satanism. Holy shit! I remember this cover. I'm I I sure yeah. It was pretty. I remember this cover. This cover just like brought me back to my childhood. Seeing this book ah. at like <laughs> a barn, not a Barnes and Noble, like a, or they Walden Books or B Dalton's. Yeah. Uh, because I, I mean, we're about the same age. I was born in '81, so like we're nice. we went probably through that that whole like era. Yep. And I remember seeing this book. I never read it, but I remember seeing it, and I did not know that that's what it was about. Oh, like a few years ago, my friends and I got a oh. copy, and we're reading passages from it, and we just couldn't believe the stretches made in this book. But you know what? Like it, it, it fooled a bunch of people. Like yeah. I said, like my parents. You know, they got nervous and they, you know, I wasn't allowed to have He-Man and, you know, and, and it, they relaxed over the years. And I, I, my, I give my mom crap about it all the time. Wow. She, she hates it. She gets so embarrassed. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Satan's uh, toy box. Wow. I'm looking at the cover. It's incredible. They've got Satan's toy box, yes. special edition. It's a second one as well. And as a wow. kid, like that cover was like you would look at it and you go, "This looks awesome." Uh-huh. You know? I know. <laughs> you read it, but <laughs> it's like I yeah. love like the knockoff Yoda on this, and the He Man, yeah. and the Barbie, and the, <laughs> so and the horrendous Cabbage Patch doll in the background. Oh wow, mm-hmm. this is beautiful. there's like Castle Grayskull so in the back. Ooh, Philip and Phil the Teddy Ruxpin. You know it's good when it's by a Phil Phillips. Yeah. Hey, it's you can buy it used from Amazon for twelve bucks. <laughs> I might do that. Twelve bucks feels steep, but <laughs> it's worth it. It's worth it. Over a hundred and thirty-five thousand copies in print. The book proudly proclaims. Wow! I think there was a sequel too. I'm pretty sure there was a sequel. Wow! Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we. I was, you know, I kind of grew up. I mean, my. I mean, the Satanic Panic was, you know, in my house basically. Yep. So. Well, that, yeah, that will be very interesting to talk about both with the movie you picked and your, in the movie that you, in fact, yes. that you made. But I'm also curious, were you easily scared as a kid? Like, did, did things get oh, to yeah. you pretty easily? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I've always hyper-empathized. Um, my imagination runs wild. 
So yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I was super scared as a kid. I mean, I remember God, I mean, so many different things. I remember, oh man, I remember, do you remember that movie Mask? Mm. The, with uh, Eric Stoltz and Cher. Oh. Um, That's an incredible. I, who... I did not think you were going to say Eric Stoltz and Cher. <laughs> right? Is that who it is? Is it? Is it? Um... Yeah, 1985. Yeah. So I remember seeing this movie on, um, I need to watch it again. Oh, um, okay. Uh, do you know picture, what I'm talking about? Yep. The picture is the guy. It's about the, the teenager with the, the skull deformity. Yes, exactly. Gave me nightmares. I saw it on TV one time. Gave me nightmares for years because that the makeup was. And now you know, I, I mean, sensitive. You know, it's a it's a sad story, and mm-hmm. you know, I haven't watched the movie, but um, I need to I need to rewatch it. But I remember as a kid just seeing like I would see you know different things on television, and it would just you know, yeah, it would just bother. Oh, Laura Dern was in it time. too. Yeah, I see that. Like like I remembered it when you asked me about this podcast that came to my mind of things that, that really traumatized me as a kid. And then I started looking it up. I was like, man, I got to watch this movie. It actually looks really great. I didn't <laughs> know it was directed by Peter Bogdanovich. And yeah. Wow. Yeah. When you said mask, I was immediately thinking uh, Jim Carrey, the mask. <laughs> like that's those, that was, that was immediately <laughs> Not Jim Carrey is a mask. It's a great <laughs> film. Um, do you remember that movie? Um, the adventures of Mark Twain? Yes. Yeah. That movie scared the living crap out of me. Um, Will Vinton, claymation movie oh my oh, god. god and that what, movie has some is that the one where they go to hell at one point yes and mm-hmm. it's got like yes. they're on that little weird planet and it's like oh god that is yeah yeah this is looking familiar yeah yeah that movie is nightmare fuel even today that movie is nightmare mm-hmm. fuel because i remember and that was the kids movie because i remember watching i didn't watch the whole movie but that clip because so i grew up i was born in 93 so i grew up like okay. with more like youtube stuff like uh-huh. youtube was more a thing like for me when i was in high school and we this was one of the the scene where they go onto the little planet is mm-hmm. was like in high school we were all watching that and be like what the fuck is this like this is just, <laughs> this is disgustingly terrifying like what the hell I'm like this is scarier than any horror movie i've ever seen this is for children yeah the yes. 80s man like, yeah well we like my my dad was like really like we watched whether if it was like puppets or claymation or any kind of uh, interesting thing like we were always watching my dad was actually on the side, he was a ventriloquist oh. and a magician, so he was Whoa. just always, like, really into, like, all kinds of, you know, just, like, alternative types of media, and so I remember I remember us watching that a couple times, and just every time just scared the living <laughs> like, crap out of me. Like, can we pick another movie to watch, Dad? Yeah. Like, I don't like this. Now it amazes me. It's, you know, oh, yeah. his, his claymation was so cool, but it's still, I mean, there's some scenes in there that they'll get under your skin. Uh, wow. Yeah. So... Okay, so then what were some other movies that you really loved as a kid growing up? When you started really watching horror and getting, you know, more into it, you could say that in high school, what were some of the movies you really enjoyed watching? Uh, when I was a kid or in high school? Well, I guess when you were able to get more access to horror and kind of started getting really into horror movies. Yeah, well, I mean, and honestly, like, there were things, I mean, I think growing up in the 80s, like, a lot of content that was even geared towards kids was... Oh, Yeah. You know, I mean, it was, there were some scary things in it. I remember, man, I remember being six and just obsessed. I mean, it was my entire world for like a year was, uh, who framed Roger Rabbit, mm-hmm. you know, and like, and the, the, you know, the stuff at the end of that movie even is, is scary. I oh. mean, by today's standards. <laughs> I, um, yeah. I can't wait for someone to come on and talk about that movie because I have, 
traumatic traumatizing (laughs) memories of seeing that movie as a kid there are scary things in it and like i thought about talking about it but i was like but i loved it so much even though there were parts of it that that scared the crap out of me um you know things like that like i was obsessed with the last crusade even though Mm. i couldn't watch the end you know there were there was always things like that like i loved a lot of those movies i was obsessed with uh the goonies as a kid and back to the future and you know a lot of those you know that are now cult staples um i was obsessed with um you know once it i'm trying to think when when like what horror like like actual horror movie i was really kind of first obsessed with um it's hard to say because i it came into a lot of that late Mm -hmm. um i do remember I do remember really, this is kind of funny, really, really being into Hellraiser fairly early. Wow. Just because, which which I don't think I could watch the whole thing, but I was so fascinated by the visuals. Just the design of it, the design work and and everything uh, about that just really intrigued me to a point where I would watch it in bursts when it was on television. And I think... I think it was probably heavily edited on television. Um, probably, but but I I do remember really being into that. I mean, Friday the Thirteenth we used always once we we would watch those all the time, and every time there was a uh, a marathon. And I watched. I mean, really, my my horror came from from like Monster Vision. Like yeah. Joe Bob was like kind of my big gateway into into horror. Um, you know, and he would he would just play anything, and I I've always have just loved old movies so. I was really into into old horror. I mean, I remember by the time I was 14, I had seen the original Dracula like at least a dozen times. Um I had it on VHS and so yeah, so Um so as an adult, what kind of draws you to the genre now? Honestly, I think th- there's a lot of things that draw me to it. I the first thing is just sort of the the way horror unlocks visual potential, I think is one of the best things about it. I feel like I feel like it's it's one of the only genres that you can kind of really stretch the the cinematic arts themselves, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like, yeah. how do I how do I kind of explain this? The you know, I I feel like sometimes we we kind of take for granted the idea that cinema just has all this potential, all this visual potential. It's a visual medium, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's its primary you know thing. So it's like. Horror sometimes feels like the only thing that's unlocking that potential in a okay. lot of ways. Like I remember, I like I recently was watching um, Bram Stoker's Dracula with commentary. Oh, <sighs> the sexiest horror movie of all time! Right? Oh, I'm just obsessed with it. I, I just think obsessed. it's. I think the and I think the 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 older it gets, the better it gets. It's oh, just, still you need know, to watch it. Aging like a fine. Oh. Wait, you haven't seen it? That's every time you bring it up, I, I mention that I haven't I seen it. Yet. I think it forgets. <laughs> I think it literally leaves my brain every time because like it does not compute. Like it yeah. is so sexy. Anyway, sorry. It's my. It's one yeah. of my favorites. It's such a good movie. <laughs> it, and 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 also just vi- just visually amazing. Um, in the commentary, Coppola kind of talks about how his goal was to create a film um with with essentially that felt like it was of the time that dracula is occurring right mm. so he tried to use a lot of the techniques of silent film and i'm a huge silent film geek mm. um i actually think there's amazing things in silent film that we've kind of forgotten about 
um, things that we have yet to really unlock in modern films that they did uh, because they had no choice but to tell a story visually. Right. And sometimes I think that that modern film sort of forgets that, you know, this is a visual medium. And, you know, that's a film, for instance, that I think like if you like if you listen to the commentary on on Dracula, he really talks about the ways that they did all these incredible effects specifically in the castle portion mm. and it just kind of will blow your mind and, and and nobody's really doing that anymore nobody's going to that place um except in a lot of cases horror and especially in independent horror when you have no choice i mean even even in our film you know part of the kind of the fun part about it is to say, well, it's a horror movie. We kind of have to do these crazy things, but we have no money. We have to get creative. We have to get creative and, you know, we have to do it well. So, um, so yeah, I think that's what draws me to it. It's okay. just what it allows you to unlock in, in the medium itself, the medium of cinema that a lot of other genres don't. So I know that you said uh, that you got that you got scared a lot as a kid. Uh, so two part question. One, do you still get scared watching horror movies as an adult? And what was the last movie that truly scared you? Oh, man, you know, I feel like I don't get scared that much. Um, I've really, really gotten desensitized. Yeah, yeah. but I kind of think like I watch horror movies now to try it. I'm chasing that. Yeah. You know, I want to get scared. I feel like the last movie that honestly, like, that I can remember, like, I had a hard time sleeping that night was maybe, I want to say The Strangers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good it's choice. Just, I mean, that movie, yeah, that really bothered me. <laughs> I, and I have two of the masks on my wall. Oh, oh, God. Nice. <laughs> I love that movie so much. It also is one of the, it is so good. It's also one of the scariest movies of all time, in my opinion. It is one of the, scariest, one movies, of the scariest, yes. scariest movies of all time. It was still terrifying. Me. Like, I cannot watch it home alone. Or I can, but I, I still will, like, I'm on, like, I'm in a high rise, so, like, it's not, but I'm always like, you never know. Who the fuck knows who the weirdos <laughs> are walking around in my apartment building? Man. I refuse to watch. It. We when I first saw it, I we would every year um we did a um a horror marathon with my friends. So we would literally do a two day marathon, and everyone got to pick two films, two horror films to watch. And we would just like everyone would come in, and just from morning to like late at night, we would just watch movies. And we watched that was one of the first ones we watched in our marathon. And even with like a good six or seven people there with me. I still, I still had a really big, big problem with it. It was, ooh, it was hard to recover from that one. It's a spooky film. It's really yeah. That's for sure. It is so spooky. Okay, so let's talk about Revealer. Can you tell our listeners mm. a little bit about what the film is about? So Revealer is, um, Revealer takes place in 1987 Chicago, and it's about a, um, it's about this stripper who's going to work, and every day she kind of has to deal with this annoying, um, religious uh protester outside uh named sally uh who has kind of this league of de this decency league trying to protest the indecency of of her job and they kind of spar a little bit but this one particular day uh the apocalypse actually happens <laughs> so um it turns out that that angie our main character gets stuck in her peep show booth that day and just so happens that Sally, the religious protester, has happened to sneak into the building for safety and is in the booth next to her. Um, and so because Angie is literally stuck in the booth, she tries to convince Sally to help her 
uh, get out. Um, and uh, they they actually discover that the underneath the building there were these bootlegger tunnels, which are actually mm-hmm. is actually something in Chicago. Uh, and so they they managed to rip the floorboards up and sneak into these underground tunnels. But the entire time, uh, something evil is chasing them. Hell yeah. And the actress who plays um, Angie, uh, is it Kato? Kato, yeah. Kato. She um, won Best Actress at Panic Fest this last she, weekend, and it's she so well-deserved. She's so good in it. It's so exciting yes. for Kato. <laughs> yeah, we were thrilled. I mean, that was it's incredible. I mean, and there were some amazing, amazing films and performances at Panic Fest. So, you know, that meant a lot to us that, that people people enjoyed her performance and it is amazing i i can't believe it she's so fucking funny in that movie and like i think in when i when i first saw this movie i was so impressed by the chemistry between kato Mm -hmm. and i'm so sorry the woman who plays sally uh shayna between yeah yeah, between kato and shayna their chemistry is incredible and i think like if they didn't have that chemistry i don't think the movie would be you know as believable uh, believable is probably the wrong word here because it's the apocalypse but like their chemistry makes it so it really sells the movie to me. And I'm like, it was really cool to see how the two of them work so well together. Yeah. And they, I didn't know when I cast them, I didn't know they knew each other. Um, not oh, really? Not on set. Yeah. And it turns out that the, yeah, they, they were, and they weren't like super good friends at the time. They had worked together on a few things and they were friends, but they actually got really close on the set. And, cool. you know, it was like, uh, we filmed really early in the pandemic. Like, I think, I think we wrote it in May, 2020. And it was, you know, so we we were still in quarantine when we wrote this thing, and we knew we'd still be in quarantine when we made it. So, um, you know, there was no real precedence, and and we had to be really, really strict. So, you know, the biggest fear we had when we made it was actors interacting. Mm-hmm. And so they, you know, Kato and Shayna really created a really quick bond because they kind of were the only two who could really interact with each other as close as you know as we do normally so and they're still to the i mean they literally are like together all the time they like text me constantly and they'll show they're so mean they'll show me pictures of them being together and (laughs) trying to make me jealous that that they're hanging out and having great times they're adorable i love them to death so i i have a question about the the, how you came up with the story because i i from what i understand you create you you kind of made this wrote the story and then you also have um writing it uh tim seeley and michael morici 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 and they are both comic book writers and Mm -hmm. and and i think tim seeley is also a comic book artist so how Mm -hmm. did this collaboration sort of come together and how did the story get developed so me and tim have been friends for a while and we've been working we've been uh basically developing uh his comic revival um, which is one of my favorite comics of all time. And we've been kind of developing a, a revival project together. And that one required quite a bigger budget and, mm. and a lot more. And, and we were just sort of, you know, we we're in a position where we wanted, really wanted to do something together. And Tim and I had always kind of talked about this idea because we both grew up at kind of this in similar times of the satanic panic. And we would, mm-hmm. we would joke about what if we wrote a story like that, that, that the satanic panic was was real like that everybody freaking out about it was actually you know legitimately telling the truth so that kind of transformed into this idea of how to basically like we basically took that idea with the idea of well we were in it we were in a pandemic 
And we were trying to figure out a way to make a movie where we could have limited um, interaction between our characters. And so Tim kind of came up with this idea. It's like, well, what if, what if they're stuck in a peep show booth? No, we haven't seen that before. And I was like, no, we definitely have not. <laughs> so the initial idea was really to kind of keep them both in this booth, you know, separated from each other for, for most of the movie. Obviously, that kind of changed as we wrote it. We kind of, it's hard to kind of keep that interesting for a long, yeah. long time. There's only so much you can do in a box. Um, some people have done it, but we kind of decided to kind of go a different route. You know, and part of that was just sort of like as we were writing it, we kind of were like, well, we want to make a, you know, we're making a pandemic movie, but we also don't want to be. Like, we don't want the story to be hampered by the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, we kind of would just, like, push the boundaries, like, with tunnels or something like that and just wait to hear our producers say, no, you can't do that. (laughs) And we had these amazing producers who never really said, no, you can't do that. Um, And so, you know, we work with these amazing people who are like, well, let's let's do it. So that's kind of how that formulated. And, And really, Tim and I had really been wanting to work with with Michael Morisi for a while. We're all really close friends and I knew Mike really well and and so we brought him on to co-write with us. Um well, technically Tim and Mike co-wrote it. So M- Tim brought Mike on to co-write and I, you know, kind of just did help with story story beats and things like that. Cool. Hell yeah. And so I'm curious about how like, you know, we talked about the story and satanic panic and stuff, but then so yeah. using your child, like how much of your childhood kind of made you think about this movie and kind of inspired you to write the movie? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, a lot of it came in how Sally talks. Um, I think one thing for me, like having grown up in, in the church and really heavily evangelical, which, which I mean, I'm not much anymore i'm not very religious anymore but i i was pretty heavy into it growing up i mean i led worship at my church i was the leader of my youth group like i was when i say i was very evangelical i was very evangelical as a kid so i knew what that sounded like and it was like really important to get that that right with sally especially like you know, and and there's some elements of her that is a little bit of a character, but I also wanted her caricature. I'm sorry, but I did sort of want that to sound real, you know, and and also just sort of kind of navigating through sort of the the theology of mm. this. It's kind of a mix between fantasy and theology. Like we kind of we take some creative liberties here and there with how things move, especially with with our creature. Um, but you know, for me, it was a lot of it had to kind of navigate this real sense of what, what would it mean, you know, for this to actually happen? Like, like the idea of the rapture is this real thing that, that, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this. That really informs a large section of people in this country. So, you know, kind of trying to understand, I think, I, my background, I think, really helped me get in the head of Sally a lot. Okay. Um, and to try to make her, I think it's easy to hate her right away. And, and, and you kind of do in certain aspects, but I really wanted to make her, um, you know, still, you know, have have some sort of empathy for her as well and understand where she's coming from. Yeah. And so, okay, so you talked about the rapture, Luke. 
Yeah. Let's continue with that. Let's continue with that. With, uh, what movie did you bring with you today for us to discuss? Well, uh, I apologize that, that you guys had to suffer through this, but I did oh, bring... do not apologize. <laughs> a Thief in the Night, <laughs> which is a 1972 uh, Christian film. It's oh, kind of the boy. first, like, real, like, Christian film, I, I think, when they were really utilizing the medium itself for for propaganda really is what it is uh and it's about it's about the rapture it's about a woman who uh wakes up and the rapture has happened and she has missing her husband uh who has been taken to heaven and millions of other people have been taken to heaven and she is about to go through what they call the tribulation uh the get to get the mark of the beast so yes this is so let me, quite a film let me read this incredible synopsis i think this is from imdb, yes, um, is from IMDb. Because it's, it's incredible <laughs> the story of patty a young woman caught up in living for the present with little concern for the future she meets and marries a young man and her life seems great until one moment she awakens to find her husband gone and the radio reporting millions of people have mysteriously disappeared as dramatic, earth-shaking events begin to unfold around her, Patty realizes she is living in the end times, as spoken of in biblical <laughs> prophecy. Adventure and suspense build to a thought-provoking climax in this powerfully <sighs> gripping film. Yeah. Whoever wrote this was a, is obviously a fan. Yeah, clearly. Because this is very obviously so. a propaganda film. Uh, like, we all, it's just the most propaganda film film I've seen from the Christian church. Yeah. Holy shit. But yeah, it doesn't hold back. So yeah, so Luke, tell us <laughs> no, why you brought, why you picked this this yeah. a thief in the night a um an interesting choice. Yeah. <laughs> How did you see this film? I want we, we need to hear it. All. We need to know everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so you know you said traumatized. I will tell you what. As a kid, um, nothing traumatized me more than the idea of the rapture. I would okay. cry myself to sleep, imagining that Jesus was just going to come and take me. <laughs> And the night, like it was the worst. It was. It's such a weird idea in Christian theology and culture. This idea that, like, especially that they tell kids that this is a good thing because I literally. And then you would like you would you would imagine that that you don't want to be taken away from the things that you know and understand, but then to be told that that's a good thing and to be told that you then have to feel guilty for feeling that way i mean Uh, i I don't man there's some serious there's some serious stuff that you go through as a kid growing up in that culture and and the church that i grew up in was very steeped in rapture culture we were a non-denominational church so our brand of theology our brand of evangel event whatever the word is um our brand of theology was sort of you know a lot of rapture talk a lot of you know, I remember, I remember we used to sing the song, which we might have to read some of the lyrics oh from the, the main song in this movie. Oh but boy. <laughs> yeah. We used to sing that all the time in church and, and, you know, talk about it. Um, yeah. And man, it just scared the crap out of me. Uh, this, and we, I remember we, I was a kid and, and, uh, I think, I think we were doing some sort of some sort of lock in or something at the church where they showed us the movie. You know, you would never have a church event that didn't have an ulterior motive. You know, they would bring you in to play games and mm. to eat pizza with all your friends and it was a big camp out. And we're going to have a great time and we're going to watch a movie and then the movie they show you is a thief in the night. <laughs> 
mean, you cannot imagine that these young kids, and we had to have been, we had to have been like seven or eight. Oh, no. At least, and just like scared out of our gourd. And I mean, and then they would go, so yeah, you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, because if you don't, you're going to be left behind. And boy, that's, you know, everyone does it at that point. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and, and it's just so weird because, you know, I don't really remember doing it. But I mean, I did it over and over as a kid. You know, there would always be these calls to, to salvation and you would just do it not knowing You'd be like, oh, what? Am I really saved? I don't know. He makes a lot of sense. Let me, I'll say the prayer again for the hundredth time. You know, it's just sort of like, because it's always based on sort of this, this fear mongering, this sort of yeah. like threatening. This movie is so threatening. Okay. You think? It is incredibly threatening. <laughs> like the, when I, when I first started watching it, I turn it on and the first thing that I am confronted with is words on the screen. Keep a sharp look, sharp lookout yes. for you do not know when I will come. At evening, at midnight, early dawn, or late daybreak, don't let me find you sleeping. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and that is how we're introduced. Harry texted that to me and was like, Jesus Christ himself is threatening me right now, watching this me. movie. And I was like, wow, off to a roaring start. Like, I, I, it's like you're, you're going, wait, is he saying you're not allowed to sleep? I don't understand. <laughs> I know. What is – and I don't think that's from the Bible. I'm not even sure that's from the Bible. I mean, just so you know, a lot of a lot of this rapture ideology – so I studied it for a while in college when I started to kind of question a lot of my beliefs, right? That It was at the time when the whole Left Behind series was huge and I started researching some of this stuff and, you know, came to kind of find out that a, that a lot of the ideas – in sort of mainstream rapture theology is is new it's 20th mm -hmm. century stuff it's not in the bible it's or it's 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 taking things in the bible and you know twisting them and making up other things and it's kind of crazy um it's called dispensationalism and yes it's, it's very weird it's kind of funny that we're talking about this now because a few weeks ago we chatted about the omen and that yeah. led me down like a rabbit hole of of reading about dis is it dispensationalism is that what it's called i uh-huh yeah let me write down a rabbit hole of that and one of the books that was released at the turn of 1970 that i cannot think of the name off the top of my head that like a lot of this teaching came from that basically said that the rapture was was imminent was going to happen sometime in either 1970s or 1980s and the right. book started like sold millions and millions of copies and continued to sell even after the prophesized rapture was going to happen and it obviously didn't happen so like <laughs> there was all of that and so i talked a lot while we we're watching the omen about how i went down so many different rabbit holes about the mark of the beast and about 666 and about the fear of barcodes and the fear of people getting implants in their skin because that could they could be that could be the mark of the beast or the that people were afraid of barcodes on like books and stuff that that was yeah. like, you were like scanning the mark of the beast and it even up to like COVID times and people were yeah. afraid of the vaccine that the vaccine was actually putting injecting the mark of the beast into into your body yep. and there's like a lot of fear of that and a lot of it came from uh, the 70s in in yep. terms of uh, some movies. I think this one probably helped a lot as well as um, the book that I'm, I'm going to try to find uh, <laughs> because uh, it, it just, it, it blew my mind. Cause I, I, my family was never, I, I was never raised religious. And so I remember going to maybe a church once or twice in my entire like young 
kid life. And it was usually because of a, um, a wedding or a funeral. Uh, but it was like my, my, I was never raised religious. So the, the idea of religion was a foreign concept to me. I knew that there was the Bible. I knew that, you know, Jesus and there's God and all that kind of stuff. But anything else about it, whoo, went over my head until I got to high school and then <sighs> met a girlfriend that I talked about an episode with, uh, with Robbie Banfitch, a director of mm. the Outwaters. We talked, we started going down a rabbit hole about that and that conversation because she was evangelical and all of a sudden I was afraid of my eternal soul <laughs> because she was telling me that like, you know, if, if you don't get saved, you're going to go to hell, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, I don't know anything about this. I'm like 16 year old like kid. And I'm like, I, what are we even talking about? And then, yep. and we'll dig into that a bit more because this movie gave me a little bit of PTSD in terms oh, of I'm that. Sorry. But I also didn't realize that there was a difference in Christian religions until I went, was in my first office job. In my first office job, I was sat outside of two offices and one of them was a guy who was Catholic and one of them mm -hmm. was a guy who was evangelical and they would come out of their office, stand in front of my desk and argue back and forth about Ugh. a literal versus a figurative interpretation of the Bible. Jesus. And they would argue about passages <laughs> in front of my desk for hours at a time. And I'm like, Ugh. there's a difference in religion. I didn't know this. And so that was like oh the God. first time that I realized that there are people that in, in different sects of um, Christianity that do not agree on anything <laughs> nobody oh man oh, not even a little bit I w i'm watching um so as everyone who's listened to this a million times knows i was raised catholic i'm no longer catholic mm -hmm. but have a lot of those like catholic things hammered into mm -hmm. my brain um so i was always like terrified of end of the world 666 demons etc etc but uh -huh. i was watching there's this new miniseries on HBO Max called The Way Down, which is about uh, Gwen Shamblin, who ran a like weight a religious weight loss program, and it became a cult. Oh, but she basically, she basically made a church that didn't acknowledge the Holy Trinity, which is a thing you can do, ah, or a thing mm -hmm. you can do, because I guess it's just like everyone's up for interpretation. And that's when I also learned that, oh, not you can just kind of make your own shit up and say it's the way of the Lord, and then just proclaim yeah. your own religion i mean this is this the, the idea of this is is something that for me led me down a path to not to really kind of giving up my faith um you know the amount of splintering that is done on a constant basis i mean even the church i mean like i said i grew up in a town of 800 people there was mm -hmm. not even a we didn't even have a stoplight in our our town but we had five churches <laughs> And at least one of them had splintered from our church. <laughs> and even in our church, we had splinters. We literally had – there was always infighting and there was fighting of people who, who were like, you know, the, oh, I think that we should be, you know, singing classic hymns. And, and then another sect of people saying, no, we need to modernize it. We need to be singing modern worship songs. I mean there was always – it felt like there's always fighting because people – within this religious viewpoint are so the most important thing is who is the most right. 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 Mm -hmm. But, you know, I kind of realized that, you know, we sort of, we, we, we build our worldviews over our experiences and our experience of the world, our experiences of people. And, and I started noticing that people, you know, that I knew were 
were changing their religious views based on their experiences. So how, you know, yeah. not, not the other way around and then using that as an excuse to justify different things. So yeah, I, I mean, it, it's crazy. It's crazy how much disagreement. I mean, <laughs> if you study theology at, at all, man, it'll give you a headache pretty quick. Just trying to yeah. follow along, whether is this person Calvinist or they, you know, it's just like, there's, Oh, it just goes on and on. And then on top of that, I, Man, I had the when I grew up, I had the biggest crush on this Catholic girl in my class, and I wasn't allowed to 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 basically date her because she was Catholic and I was non denominational, which is just crazy. Yeah, that's so weird. So the book uh, was called "The Late Great Planet Planet Earth" mm. by Hal Lindsey, and it yep, is Hal Lindsay, a, yep. a treatment of literalist premillennial dispensational eschatology and compared end time prophecies in the Bible with then current events in an attempt to predict future scenarios resulting in the rapture of believers before the tribulation and second coming of Christ. Um, yep. And that was so popular. Uh, apparently it looks like it, they, it was featured on a primetime television special with Hal Lindsey in 1974. And then it sold up the wazoo. It was so popular that they made a film adaptation that was narrated by Orson Welles. Oh, wow. That was released that. in 1978. Huh. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And then it continued to sell past because I guess in the in the book it was saying the Antichrist was in the 70s and that the rapture mm -hmm. was going to be in the 80s. Yep. And so it kind of established a lot of, um, from, what, from what I'm reading, a lot of the kind of principles that would continue on with um, the evangelical religion uh, past the 1970s and i watching this movie kind of it felt hand in hand with some of the stuff that i'd read about about this book and you kind of talked a little bit about the song that you were singing as a kid and that was the second bit of like and within five minutes of this movie there is a band <laughs> that is singing the song uh i wish we'd all been ready i wish we'd all been ready yep. by larry norman which has lyrics such as and everyone got trampled on the floor yes <laughs> and i'm like which I don't know what that means. Excuse me? <laughs> I wish we'd all been ready. Children died. The days grew cold. A piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. I uh -huh. wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come, and you've been left behind. <laughs> yeah. Written by Larry Norman, who's kind of one of the first pioneer Christian, Christian artists. Yeah. Christian yeah. rock music. Released Christian over 100 yeah. albums. I went... What? Digging down his like Wikipedia page, released over a hundred albums. Uh, his first album, "Upon This Rock," is the first his first his first solo album, considered the first full blown Christian rock album in 1969. It's where the song came from. And in 2008, Christian rock historian John Christian rock historian, what an incredible title! <laughs> Sorry, yeah, seriously. I mean, you know, in, in the 2000s, you could be like a historian about anything pretty oh, much yeah. anymore. True. But John J. Thompson wrote, "It is certainly no overstatement to say that Larry Norman is to Christian music what John Lennon is to rock and roll, or Bob Dylan is to folk music." Very important guy in in the kind of Christian uh, rock yep. pantheon. And this song is wild. It's so twisted. It's and it's weird because I remember singing it at church, and it's this, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing the level of um, just disassociation you have to do with with ideas when you're when you're you're singing these things as as sort of a, a way of praise, <laughs> um, you know. But the lyrics, you read the lyrics, and you're just like. 
what is this talking about? Uh, it's twisted and scary. It's, it's funny, yeah. too. Like, in the movie, the people that sing it are, like, so dour and <laughs> awful when they're singing it, too. It's, like, scary. It's so threatening. Well, even before they start singing, they, they start with, like, any minute. Any second could be your last chance you could give yourself to Jesus. This is no joke. This is not a fairy tale. It will happen just as sure as you are here right now. And then they launch (laughs) into this song. And it's like, this is your introduction to the movie. After, of course, we get in media res with Patty, our heroine, who (laughs) wakes up to find that her husband is gone and his razor is going in the bathroom. She walks in and we get this amazing camera zoom to her face. that just sort of like, whoomp, up to her face. And then the scream as she realizes she's been left behind. The editing in this movie is absolutely fucking incredible. Because at one point, her man is bitten by a cobra. And he's, and he's he's starting to scream in the ambulance. I'm like, okay, look, I know this is a propaganda yes. film, but this editing is incredible. Like, oh, like mwah, chef's kiss editing. I mean, yes. He's bitten by a cobra, and then ah, and then smash cut to the ambulance. It's just, it's just, it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. There's so many. There's so, so many moments many like that, and you're just like, what? And you're what's like, the, hmm. what's the one with the um? Is there? There's like a cricket or a bug or something. I'm trying to remember. Am I thinking of the right, the right thing where they like hit? Oh, is it the helicopter and it becomes like a, oh. like a cricket on a door yes. or something like yes. that? Yes, 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 yes. The helicopter, yes. Yes. Well, even oh. so, like what what I love is after. Okay, so after after the song, we int- we're introduced to our three uh, female leads <laughs> who represent different trains of thought. You have Diane, the secular thinker, who is like, I thought that was a whole bunch of bull. Yeah. You, <laughs> you have Patty, the the and I'm using quotation marks here, the fake Christian, because she hasn't been saved. And she's like, I'm a Christian. Well, not like the band leader was a Christian. I go to church. <laughs> I follow the Ten Commandments. I read the Bible once in a while. What else is there? And then you have Jenny, the the, the questioning, do I need to be saved? And then she ultimately, you know, becomes saved. But you have like these three ideals. And those are the people that we follow through the rest of the movie. But there is a moment where Jenny goes back to the band and is talking to them. And she accepts Christ into her heart. Oh, my God. And this woman who is like an autom- automaton is like saying, <laughs> yes, Jenny, all you need to do is give up your life oh, to God. so scary. It's so great. You will tr- know true love at this point. And <laughs> she's like, she says, if I had wings, I could fly. And she's like, but you don't need wings now, Jenny. And the editing again <laughs> Cuts to her friends who are not being saved, flying off in a metal object at, in the in the sky, as if we're like saying, "Shame yes. on them for trying to fly and, and spite God, because now you, with God in you, can fly, and they have to use a machine like that." The editing is so <laughs> perfect. In it's this like movie. I feel like they got someone who knew what they were doing, and were like, "Well, uh, I guess I just gonna have to do what I can here." Again, my in my in my mind and like my perfect little image of what this is. Yeah. It was some poor dude who was like, "I don't, I just need the money, so I'm just gonna fuck around and find out." <laughs> <laughs> I would really like to know more about the actors and the production of this movie. And I mean, we know it was shot in Des Moines, Iowa, right? It was shot in yes. Des Moines, Iowa. I know. Is... I know that special thanks and the credit go out to Century Twenty One <laughs> Incorporated, which I was trying to figure out where that shows up in the movie, but. I honestly, in like that point, you're sort of like, wait, is Jenny the main character? Is it Jenny? Yeah, I mm-hmm. couldn't quite. I let me say one thing about this movie. 
it's very hard to follow. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Because I was like, am I, yes. like, this is only an hour and eight minutes long. And all of these yeah. women look almost identical. And I do not yeah. fucking remember who is who and who has been saved by Jesus and who is. Yeah, I took copious notes. <laughs> oh, I was like, God bless you. I Oh, man. It requires it requires precision attention because the timeline to, to figure jump out where around and everyone's oh like a blonde woman in the same outfit and I'm just like yeah huh yep. so it is hard to follow I love that a lot of the tension in this film is almost of a like when is the rapture gonna happen so there's like all these like <laughs> yeah. moments of it's like true. I, I was sitting here going okay so. This movie is very short. We're like 30 minutes into it. This movie is just over an hour. And I was like, okay, so we have the snake, the guy that is getting a blood transfusion because he was oh bitten God. by a snake. <sighs> and I'm like, is it going to happen now? Is it, is it going to, is this when, when things are going to happen? And it's like, look what could happen. And the doctor is like gone and he's like dying. Like, this is what I'm thinking. Like, what is it going to happen? There's all these little moments where it's like something dramatic is happening. I'm like, oh, is it going to happen now? Is it going to happen now? And it happens in the most like, in obtusive like manner it's just like it just sort of happens but i I just a lot of the tension is that waiting for yeah are they gonna all disappear well there's so so the guy okay so there's there's jim right and Mm -hmm. jim gets bitten (laughs) so well let's back up for a second because like this really interesting thing that where jim my favorite line in the movie is is the one where they go i i who is it that says it but uh is it maybe patty but she says something like Oh, he doesn't work at the zoo. He works in the in zoo. This yes. zoo. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> what? What does that mean? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> I mean, because he's he's so he's a vet, right? And then Jerry is a doctor, and. <laughs> Or, uh, I, I don't even know if he's a doctor. He works. It's at- so hard to know. It's so hard to know. <laughs> but like, oh, he's a pre med student. I did take that note. And okay, the comment okay. is like, we got us both a couple of doctors. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So he's okay. So Jim. Jim is a, is a friend, and he's working at the zoo. I guess. <laughs> In the zoo. In this, I'm, I'm like, first of all, I was like, imp- how did they get a cobra? Like, that's quite a. That's quite an animal wrangling it really is. situation for for a low budget film to have a cobra. That's impressive, and and he gets bit by this loose cobra at the zoo. That I don't know why he was loose, <laughs> but um, you kind of <laughs> there was around this moment where I I literally I so I watched it with my friend John, and and I was like, um, I was like, wait, oh, are, is this all a flashback? Like even up until this point, I didn't even realize that we had flashed back like the timeline is just so weird that you can't can't quite follow it exactly so and then you sort of figure out okay i see what's happening and then jenny the new christian prays for him Mm -hmm. and you almost think that like is jenny the protagonist of this film because it focuses on jenny for quite a while and then they like go to church together and you're like oh it's like jim and jenny gonna get together but then in your brain you go but oh but wait didn't patty yell out for jim in the beginnings right so oh clearly jim and patty are together and you're just like where is this movie going yep the movie's confused for sure yeah. <laughs> and i will i think the part that the parts that kind of got to me if get to me is the right word to use here is when the little girl 
who's like, you're not going anywhere, oh. right, mommy? Or like, you're not going anywhere. Because I'm like, okay, so this is definitely like me as a child being like, I've heard of the rapture one time. So now I'm going to be mm-hmm. terrified that no matter what happens, my mom is going to disappear. And then the girl disappears getting the butter from the neighbor. And it's like, it's I know. a rather harrowing, sh- it's a rather harrowing moment. Like if you think about it outside of um, the propaganda of it all, she's got a little yeah. puppet and is just walking over to borrow, borrow a stick of butter from her neighbor. And then all of a sudden, and you see like a neighbor come out with no shirt and his, his lawnmower and is like wheeling it around. And then you yeah. flash to a melting stick of butter in the driveway. And I'm like, Oh, that's actually Okay. I the, I appre- I can I can appreciate that kind of the way that you've set this up with having the little girl <laughs> be scared and she in fact disappears. And then well and then you go to the flashes of like the mixer overbeating and then you have the razor in the sink and I like, mm-hmm. oh okay, now I understand where we are in the chronology yeah. of the events going on here. Yeah. Yeah, once the rapture happens, the movie starts to get starts to actually get somewhat movie-ish like other like before that it's just a lot of preaching like it's a lot of preaching there's two two full actual sermons in this movie before you even get to the rapture but what's what's interesting about them is that again like these characters portraying like the secular the Mm -hmm. fake and i'm using again quotations christian and then the real christian that was that was saved this like that dichotomy right there they use two different preachers one to preach a sermon of like oh the bible is just full of poetry and poems and as long as you were good that's all god cares about and then you have the fire and brimstone though the rapture is going to happen one and of course the one that is talking about how the the figurative interpretation or like the catholic or like the the non-evangelical view of, of the bible he eventually becomes like Oh my god, I led my flock astray. He becomes like a villain in a sense yes. because he yeah. did not preach the true word to his people and therefore he is being tormented for it. When you're like listening to his sermon, you're like, "Oh, this guy's actually making like I can I can dig this, right? Like he's actually making some sense. It's not so bad." And then you're like and then you find out later, "Oh no, he's a bad guy." It's <laughs> like <laughs> and then he ends okay. up getting shot in the head. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's also played by Russell S. Doton, um, who is the producer of the film ah. and uh, also wrote the, the story of the film. And ah. interestingly enough, he got his start as a producer for The Blob, the original 1958 oh. Blob. There is actually a lot of um, Christian people involved with the making of The Blob, the the. Huh. The score was written by um, someone that was involved with, uh, oh gosh, what is the, is it Lindsey Graham? Was that him? But like, there was like a composer that was involved. There was like someone else that was involved, but he, so Doton got his start with the blob. He went to Hollywood, got disillusioned, moved back to Des Moines, Iowa, Mm. and started his production companies and started pumping out, uh, you know, religious films, uh, of which A Thief in the Night is the first in four, in a four movie trilogy or series yes what so yeah, yeah so and and apparently i mean really by the time you get to the fourth movie in this series there's like mutants mutants yeah it <laughs> I, it's like it's like on the one hand i'm like 
I, I don't know if I can take any more of this, but on the other <laughs> hand, I really want to see the mutants. <laughs> I, was, I was watching this with my roommate, and we were, like, both, like, just sitting there, like, going, what are we watching? And then afterwards, she's like, did you know there's three more movies? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, I kind of want to watch them. <laughs> yeah, we watched the trailers. And it, it, it's interesting, because as they go, you can tell that they become more movie-ish. And, mm-hmm. and when I say movie-ish, I, I, for, for, the, for the listeners out there, this movie is people trying it feels like someone trying to figure out how to make a movie uh-huh. it's, it's yep. very weird and and not polished in any way shape or form um so so yeah you can kind of tell that the quality slightly improves as they go along not that it makes it any more <laughs> watchable i don't think but but yeah but i love that there are three enemies in this so you have like mm-hmm. the fake minister right and right. then you also have the united nations yes oh my god <laughs> The United Nations. The United Nations! Who make Unite, United Nations Imperium of Total Emergency, who want to start IDing people with binary code that, of course, is the number 666, the mark of the beast. (laughs) And I was like, wow. Wow. So... Do, do do we hate the UN? Is like the, I was like, what, why? What what is going on here? No, I remember. I remember as a kid. I mean, the UN was was really. I mean, they were an enemy. There was, you know, they were the enemy. Wow. There was this. They were the, you know, so like growing up in in evangelical culture, there's constantly. That people are constantly looking for signs of the end times. Yeah. Oh, this is this means we're in the end times. Oh, this means we're in the end times. And the UN was a big one. It was this sort of, you know, one world order type idea. Oh, you know, and that's and I think, you know, there is a straight line from this movie and the impact that this movie had, you know, because it was very successful in terms of what it set out to do. Mm-hmm. But there's a straight line from this movie to where we are now in a lot of political you know, discourse and, and some things that, you know, we're dealing with is just sort of this, 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 uh, you know, being people being scared of globalism and things like that. Mm. Um, a lot of that comes out of, out of this idea. And a lot of, you know, and those, those ideas come from people like Hal Lindsey, you know, and sort of, you know, trying to, because he was, especially, as you mentioned, someone who would, who would, try to point out things in the culture and in world events that would signal, you know, the coming of Christ, the second yeah. coming of Christ. Well, I will say that I was watching this now because, again, this was the first time I'd ever heard of this movie. It's the first time I've ever obviously <laughs> so seen this movie. No, I, it was it was it was quite a watch. But what kind of was the most chilling aspect of it was seeing some of the language that's used in it that is mm. used now in terms of like people mm-hmm. being anti-vax. So like right. yep. you have like because the whole idea is once the United Nations gets involved and create Unite and they're going to ID everyone again, this goes back to the the Mark of the Beast and that kind of thing that that they're marking people for that but the the language of of what's going on there's an old man that comes into the id facility and is like i'm not afraid of being a good citizen and he gets tattooed with the mark of the beast and so the implication here that like good citizen means that you are falling in with this group that is going to lead to your downfall there is the the reports where the guy that works at the un is shouting report today to your local unite identification center and show yourself a true citizen 
that kind of language in terms if you were to just say like instead of unite identification center say like go to your vaccination place and get yep. yourself a vaccine the imperium in no way wants to impinge and pinch on the rights of citizens of the world it's just simple necessity that each of us identify with unite and fully support its progress and strategy again you you put vaccine in there in covid talks it makes sense. Those who refuse to ID are working against the goals of the purposes of the Imperium. Those who don't have the mark of Unite will be arrested. You have that and you have like this fear of people getting not getting the injected that they're going to be forced to take this kind of that kind of aspect. And you can see sort of like the rational, the re- rationalization and the, the circuitous yeah. thought that kind of I feel <laughs> is why a lot of people were anti-COVID and anti-barcodes and anti-everything, that kind of like that. But it also reminded me of Nazi imagery, too, because you have these people mm -hmm. having to get marked, obviously, with this tattoo that's permanent, and it has to be either on your hand or on your forehead. And then at one point, there's a woman who has a red (laughs) armband walking through a prison. And so there is, like, this very much... uh, and I obviously like with like the 666 stuff goes hand in hand, that kind of Nazi imagery. But I was like, wait, so we're calling the UN Nazis now. And <laughs> like, we are not kind of mincing any words here about like who right. is the bad guy and who is like an evil dick. It was just very, very shocking to see them go for that, that big of a stretch. I think the armband really solidified it. Cause with the, the mm-hmm. tattoo, I was yep. like, okay. But then the armband, I thought, okay, what in the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> But can I just say that I kept going like, wh- who? Why is the forehead an option? Like what? Like it's like forehead or hand, and she's like, is it permanent? Yeah. I was like, why was that even? <laughs> what? Like like why would you choose your forehead? There's like an old guy who goes, oh, I'm a good citizen. I'll do it on my forehead. Uh-huh. I'm just like, why? Why is that even an option? The back of the hand or the forehead are not <laughs> the only options you have here. Uh, I guess it's just so it's obvious. Oh, and I absolutely love like the I very guess, quick easy? zoom where it's like re- she escapes and then it's revealed that one of the women and her husband are now have marked with the beast and he like has a walkie talkie and he's like coming to get her. And and they oh, on the mark yes. on his hand. I was like, that was the best part of the movie because it's so Diane and Jeremy. It's, it is, it yes. is her friend. Exactly. And it's, they turn on her. It's so and they're like, oh, no. you bitch. <laughs> like, also, his character cracked me up the whole time with his like his weird facial hair and voice. Like his whole character, I was like, I'm not. I know that you're supposed to. If you are already co- coded as a bad guy, yeah. with, oh, like sir, weird you are voice. way too old to be like. <laughs> Hitting on these young girls, like, <laughs> sir. Yes, but I, I kept, I kept wondering, like, why, like, what? Okay, so like, you have to have the mark of the beast to like get groceries or anything like that, and and like she's kind of resisting, and I'm thinking, you know, why resist now? You you've had to get a driver's <laughs> license. You you're a citizen of America. Like, what all of a sudden, like, someone telling you to be a citizen? To do one other license is 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 the issue here. And on top of that, like what's or else what? Like why are you like it like I it made me badly want to research what some of the rapture m- mentality is of like, is there like a second chance that you're gonna get? Like why are we resisting all of a sudden? Like, aren't you already screwed? Like it, it's very unclear about why we are resisting at all yeah because like if it's the rapture already happened then everyone's already kind of like you're the ones left yeah over. you lost your you're, chance you're left over so like 
that you don't really need to mark. Uh, yeah, I was also I was like, what's the what's the mythology? <laughs> what's the lore? Here? What are the rules? What are here? the rules can, can of the rapture? Explain? Please explain to me the exact rules of why we have to be tattooed if we're the ones that lived through the rapture. <laughs> yeah, well, and I will tell you, I remember. Um, <laughs> I remember that uh, when when I first started dating my wife and she wasn't religious. And so, you know, I was still pretty, pretty evangelical. And so there was a big deal about her coming and sort of learning oh. all this stuff. And so when we we're in high, I met my wife in high school and she would come to church. She'd come to youth group with me. Oh, wait, that's and cool of her. It was at that. It was cool of her. <laughs> I feel bad now that she had to go through such a terrible thing, but we came out okay. Um, but, uh, you know, she, I remember Left Behind was really big and she oh, started hmm. reading it and she started kind of researching. I think she just sort of got into the mythology, if you will, of of the rapture theology. And there's like these timelines of everything that's going to happen, like these different these different eras of the rapture you have the you have pre-tribulation and then tribulation and then all like if you look at this stuff it's extremely confusing mm -hmm. and all the stuff that's like supposed to happen after the rapture um is nuts i mean and it goes deep 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 i mean it's it's a little crazy how how detailed this thing gets yeah so I mentioned earlier that I got a PTSD moment from this. And <laughs> I, like I said, I, when I was closeted in high school, I had a girlfriend for a very brief amount of time. Listeners, I'm not going to rehash all of it, but if you want to know about it, go listen to our episode with Robbie Banfitch about the changeling where we got derailed in our conversation because of this. <laughs> but I, this was my first like interaction with like, like I would say, more intimate reaction interaction with like religion. Cause before that I mm. did not really know much about religion. Cause my, my parents never raised, raised us to be religious. Although they would say that they were Lutheran. Um, and ah. my dad was mm. Methodist, but like they never really, they never really explained it. I never went to church. So yeah. I, I meet her and she like got really big into, um, evangelical evangelicalism. And I, what what's the word? And that should be yeah, evangelism. I keep saying it. Evangelism. Is it evangelism? Yeah. Yeah. Well, evangelism is an is no. Is, that's different. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Nope. Never mind. <laughs> well, she got very big it might be into evangelism. Yeah. yeah, she got real big into that into into that with her with her whole family and the language. So she became very convinced that she had to save my soul, mm -hmm. and the language that was used in this movie just brought me back to conversations that we would have that we would mm -hmm. have where. Where she would say, um, you know, it could happen at any moment. You need to give yourself to God because it literally could happen right now. Mm -hmm. And you're going to go to hell. And she's like, and I don't want you to go to hell because I care about you. Yep. Wow, thanks and so then, much. <laughs> and then the, the, the track would turn. And again, this is a line from the movie where someone tells, I, I can't remember. I think it might be Jenny. You have everything to gain and absolutely nothing to lose. And that mm -hmm. was another thing that she would say. She's like, okay, mm -hmm. but... She would try to, you know, use logic. Okay, so if you if you give yourself up to God and and it's true, then you're going to go to heaven. And if it's false, you haven't lost anything. And so there was that kind of conversation that was like trying to dig into like the more logical aspect of me because I was very skeptical and I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was also the desk disconnect where, where she would, you know, she would talk about how you're going to get punished and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, but everyone talks about how God is love. And again, 
clueless on this. And I'm like, so if God is love, then why is this going to happen? And she's like, well, God punishes sin. Mm, And that became like this whole kind of like thing for me because, again, deeply closeted. And one of the things was that gay people were going to go to hell. And I had a friend who was who had just recently come out. And so I started to like think instead of thinking about myself, would think about him and be like, okay, well, if he's gonna go to hell and he doesn't know, then oh my gosh, should he be saved? And really I was talking about myself, but I was like kind of trying to isolate that because I didn't want to think of myself as gay at the time. And so I was like putting it off on someone else, like saying, He needs to be saved because like she said, what if it is real? And so it was like this whole like thing where it was like this trauma in me of like, wow. I don't believe any of this, but mm-hmm. also I don't want to burn in hell. Yeah. <laughs> and also like <laughs> I'm, I'm gay. And what does that, what does that mean? Because like some people would say, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin. But some people mm-hmm. would say, no, if you're gay, you can like get out of it. And that became like this whole other thing that was like really confusing to me as I was trying to figure out my own sexuality and also I had this this girlfriend who was trying to convince me that I needed to be saved in it. So watching this movie and, and seeing all the kind of like logic, circular logic that was happening in this film and the conversations oh, yeah. that were happening just brought me back to that time with, with my girlfriend. Oh man. I and I, I know all of that so well. In fact, I remember I think when I was in high school, I think the the first real big crack in my and my faith journey was um, we had this, we, we, the leaders in our youth group had a field trip. Mm-hmm. We were taken to, um, to this big conference and it was an evangelical conference. And the whole point was, it was basically teaching. We were in high school at the moment, kids, how to um, save people. Yeah. That was it. It was like a three or four day thing. And I remember we did all these things. We, we would go into the inner cities of Chicago and go up to people on the street and try to save them wow. on the street. And I'm like maybe 16, 15, 16, right? 17, wow. something like that. Um, really young. And this is, this is a lot. <laughs> and like, I remember one of the things we had to do was we had to write letters to all our unsaved friends. Um, I got a letter. At home. Oh, I remember. Holy shit, it, guys. I, it was, yeah, it was, it was like even doing it. Even though I believed at the time, it was almost traumatizing to do it because it, you were sort of being forced to do something that just I, – that was the moment I, 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 I can trace back that moment of going, this isn't right. And I remember we were supposed to give our letters to our to our leader and I threw mine in the trash. I was like, I can't do this. I just can't do it. And I think it was sort of – I think like a few months after that, I quit my youth group. Um, I stopped going and – you know, I I remember how it just, you know, it, I had been saying the things, all the things that were said to you, I remember saying to mm-hmm. I said it to my wife. I remember having conversations. I would say these things to my wife. And, like, there's a point at which you go, you know, you get old enough and you start to think through these, you know, this circular logic and it just doesn't make any sense. And you go, I don't think I can do this anymore. Um and now watching it's so interesting because watching the movie kind of brought me back to a lot of the stuff and and you watch it on the other side and you're just like it's amazing that this works yeah. because it is so threatening and it's mm-hmm. so nefarious almost and how manip- like the the manipulation of it is is you know it it is 
is a thief in the night a horror movie i think it is just in the, the way people talk <laughs> right well, like, yeah. it's scary like if you like, l- it watching is. it and i'm like you know i was laughing out of it at the same time i was like this is scary shit because when you like really do believe in it like when you are a religious person and yeah. you believe in this like it is a horror movie like this is like your it worst is. nightmare and it, that and Yep. I mean, it's not a good movie, but I think it's effective for what it was trying to do. Especially, I mean, it terrified yeah. you as a kid, and I think it is was probably scarily effective, even if the production value isn't great. I mean, it it didn't matter to them, I bet. It was just like, well, if we can just tap into that anxiety and get people terrified, that's yeah. all that matters. And that is scarier than anything in my head. Yeah. No, I mean, it, I think it taught people a certain kind of manipulation. How, yeah. to, like, like you said, it taught people how to how to approach people in a certain way, and 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 that's scary, you know. Um, and I think you know that still it's still being being done today. It's still being you know taught, and people talk like that still, and you know that's kind of that's kind of frightening in and of itself. So, well, that was the thing yeah. that like really jumped out at me. Cause again, like I said, the, the language that was being used in this film that was from 19, what 1972 yeah. is the same exact language that, that uh, my girlfriend was using. And uh, would have been, I guess, 96. Yeah. Probably 96, 97 timeframe wow. yep. is the same. Literally like lines. Like I was writing is like, I remember her almost, she could have been reciting this movie to me and I would Holy not be shit, surprised eh? at, like how, yep. how, on the nose a lot of the conversation was and i'm just like this is <laughs> it kind of like gave me like goosebumps as i was listening to it because i had i you know i i had as i mentioned in the when we talked to robbie i a lot of this i had kind of i don't know blocked away like it was mm-hmm. like in subconscious and then when we started talking and the reason why i talked about it then uh is because um she introduced me to the changeling her family introduced me to the changeling and then that Such like started movie. to it is it really is but like that led me down talking about that movie and watching it again mm-hmm. for the first time since probably that around that time was like bringing back all his memories. And then watching this was like, Oh shit. She used to say this, the same shit to me. <laughs> and it was like, just this wild, just wild, like sense of deja vu happening. It's just, hmm. wow. This movie. Well, I apologize for triggering. <laughs> <laughs> I really Scarred do. For life uh, living up to its name. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, uh, do we want to wrap up and give this our rating out of five? Yes. So before we do, though, now that you've rewatched this as an adult, yeah. is this movie still scary to you? It is still scary to me uh, for different reasons. It's scary, like we talked about. I think it's scary um, because it's – when I, as I was watching it, I kept thinking, I'm sad that people do this, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, It's like the idea of – having certain characters in the film feeling compelled to you know essentially convince someone by using that these fear tactics and that's all that is just fear tactics i i just i it makes me sad it makes me sad you know because even the people that are doing it i mean they feel they i remember being that they're doing it from a place of love right Mm -hmm. they're doing it you know, even even your girlfriend at the time, you know, she it, you can't deny that she was actually concerned. Yeah. But it's it's that it's the the brainwashing of of how you get to that point, how you get to that concern, which I think just really, you know, it makes me sad. It makes me sad that that's a part of culture, that that's a part of that whole thing. When, listen, I think that something could be said about 
certain elements of religion that are good you know mm-hmm. the parts of the the parts of the bible that say we you know like like jesus says a thousand times we should be taking care of the poor and we should be taking care of you know widows and orphans and you know on and on like those are kind of the important parts but but there's a culture that focuses on this manipulation yeah. and sort of seeing that manifest in this movie to such a to a paranoid degree and such a nefarious degree I think, like I said, it it kind of it's scary, very scary. Still, I think. Yeah. Holy shit. Um, Whew, sorry. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, no, it's true though. Terry, you get the the fun the fun task of being the first one to rate this movie. How many marks of the beast out of five do you give a thief in the night? I feel like I need to give it six six six, but no. Um, <laughs> I I mean okay let's be honest it's not a very good movie like no. as 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 we've said even if you were to like to strip the religious connotations out of it it's just not a very well made movie it doesn't make I I the the pacing of it doesn't make any sense the the inmate res and it's I was like for a moment there I was like I really thought that we were following people after the rapture already happened I'm like why are they singing about the rapture it already just happened in the opening scene and then it goes it that's like the 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 kind of um wraparound bit where we're back to there and she wakes up and it's a dream but then it's not a dream i'm just like this movie is confused there's a lot of confusion going on here totally i did think it was for what it was trying to do it was incredibly effective and like i said it gave me it gave me chills with some of the the dialogue that it gets repeated in real life but honestly it's not a good movie and i'm just gonna have to give it one marks out of the beast out of five for me but what about you mary beth (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I'm waffling here because I'm like, what do I judge this movie on? Because like, yeah. it's like, okay, obviously not well made, like insane, not like it's ridiculous. But then, and it's <laughs> also like insane propaganda. And you're like, this is incredibly ridiculous. But then at the other hand, I'm like, what a fascinatingly horrifying cultural object to have. Mm. And like yeah. evidence of Christian whatever we're called i don't even fucking know because it's like whatever christian something ideologies and how it's being fed to people and how it is terrifying and how that rhetoric went on for and you like you started saying terry with covid like that kind of rhetoric is still kind of going on like even though this was made in the 70s like this is not necessarily old news or like kind of old-fashioned way of thinking yeah and like I don't know. I would, I'm going to be really generous here and give it two, which I know sounds crazy, but I think it's a fascinating <laughs> cultural object and like a, a, a weird mm-hmm. thing that exists that I think is weirdly important to kind of look at how movies are used and how what horror movies can look like in a different kind of context. Like I was mm-hmm. actually, you brought this Luke and I was like, this is such a weird choice, but I'm so excited to talk about it. And I'm glad we did. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think it's a really cool way of looking at fear in a much different perspective. And yeah, I am weirdly fascinated. And so I'm just going to I am going to just go out and live and be brave and say two, just because of how wild and kind of truly scary it is as a concept that it exists as a movie. You know, I, I really do want to watch the, the sequels. and I kind of <laughs> want to get friends together and get like <laughs> blitzed and just drink a whole lot and watch these movies because they are it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, I did tell my friend I I really wish that there were some riff tracks you could at least throw on these or something because man there's some some good stuff there um yeah luke yeah that's the final word we'll, we'll go into that like what is your rating of this movie uh, your mark of the how many marks of the bees <laughs> yeah you both make really good points um gosh i don't know i think 
you know, I, I, I would lean towards one, but Mary Beth, I think you make some excellent points just she about does. the effectiveness of it. And, you know, it's funny because I think really a lot – I actually – I worked in a Christian bookstore for a while when I was uh, going to college. And I remember a lot of the movies, a lot of the Christian movies sort of have these horror elements in them because they are so steeped in in fear tactics, you know? Um, and so, but this one's kind of the, this is sort of the big bang of that, of, and, and even not even just like sort of the, the theology element, it's actually kind of the big bang of sort of a separate Christian marketplace like of mm-hmm. con- mm-hmm. christian consumerism and that's a whole other topic we could get onto. having worked in a christian bookstore man i could tell you about the ideas behind christian consumerism so so I'll, I'll i'll go i'll go with you on a two i think i think that you have a fair point about you know where this stands from um i guess a academic perspective if you will so yeah yeah and you, you know it's funny because you were talking about horror and and kind of like Christian Christian Christianity and horror and that kind of like intermingling there. And mm-hmm. I just remembered that uh, that she, my girlfriend, had wanted me to go to a Hell House that her church had put on. I think is what oh, it was no. called. Oh boy! Instead of like a haunted house, oh, they do like Hell House. Yeah. I didn't go, but I remember I her say, Did you really go? trying to get me to go. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that I you I you know I have so many questions about the whole uh, the working in the Christian bookstore and that kind of stuff because I remember walking into one because she wanted to buy some CD from some Christian rock band and I don't remember what it was I don't remember who it was but I just remember walking in that store and it was like entering a different world for me <laughs> I just remember it that. Is. Uh, it is crazy. Yes. That's, that's so funny. I was just talking to Steve about how all like some of the pop punk bands I used to listen to when I was in high school are actually Christian rock bands. Like they had like secret yeah, right? Jesus messaging in them. And I'm like, crossovers. <laughs> I know. Fuck? Anyway, I also start thinking yeah. about the movie Saved while watching this movie. <gasps> Saved. I oh, love that's that a movie great movie. so much. Oh, I love that. It's really that's a good one. Yeah. Because like I, I literally at one point uh, when I was watching this with my roommate, I shouted, I am filled with Christ's love because that is my favorite, <laughs> favorite line from Saved. And yes. I just, yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Luke, for (laughs) joining us to talk about A Thief in the Night and bringing this into my radar. Uh, (laughs) I had a lot of fun. So where can our listeners find you? And and there's Tiramisu and Mary Beth's cat has has stuff to say. She's been screaming (laughs) in the background for like 20 minutes trying to get in and we let her in and now she's being a bitch. Sorry. (laughs) Your, Your cat's name is Tiramisu? Yes. Oh my god, that's the best yeah. cat. Oh my god, I'll I can't. Sh- that's she's adorable. I love her. But yeah. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, so where can the <laughs> listeners find you? And is, your, is Revealer going to be playing at other festivals they can see? Or what, what's coming up next for you? Okay, so uh, we're, uh, Revealer is going to be at Underworlds Festival in Austin, Texas uh, on May 21st. Um, and Cato and Shayna will be there for that. That's We're really excited about that. And then... Everyone will be able to see the film uh, on June 23rd on Shudder. We'll release on Shudder. So we're really excited. Really excited about that. Sweet. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. And I am available uh, on Twitter at at Luke's Lens. Um, And usually I think Instagram and other places in the same under the same handle. Cool. Sweet. 
So listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Have you seen A Thief in the Night? Have you even heard of A Thief in the Night? I would love to know who else out there has experienced this movie. Uh, you can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at McGangers. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> <laughs>